The Texans lose to the Browns, but not all hope is lost as the playoff quest continues. All that and more on this edition of the bullpen. Well, hello and welcome. I am James Roy. This is my co-host, Tom. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm good. I, I've, I've been better. I was better before the game kicked off. I mean, in my seat, the, the building was electric. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being able to hook it up with the uh, with the tickets. So awesome. This man's got amazing seats. The giveaways he does, you need to get in those because they are phenomenal. The fan base around them. Interesting story. When we get some time, uh, there was some some disgruntled Browns fans with some of the disgruntled Texans fans because they were on their feet, loud, aggressive, awesome. The atmosphere unmatched. Just a great time. Except the final score. Yeah, the that final score was tough. And I know what you're talking about. The guys that sit to the right of me, that's a cool couple. And uh, the first time I went, they they had brought their kid too, and and that was like a pretty cool experience hanging out with them. It's good having someone right next to me to talk ball with. So I I don't know his name, as you know, as a man, as a fellow man, you can talk to someone, um, another another man for several hours and never really know much about them except for what they know about what you're talking about. So, um, but yeah, I, I love those seats. I'm glad that I've got them. Um, let's talk about the game. And I hate to lead off with this question, but there was a lot of hope that Case Keenum might be able to do something. Um, and as we saw throughout the game, uh, to put it incredibly, too incredibly simple, it's not really this simple, but I'll say it this way. Keenum was not doing great. Davis Mills came in and he did better. Um, understanding there's a lot more to it than that. That's There's a lot of context left out of that. But um, at what point when you were watching the game was the first time that you had the thought, maybe we should try something different at quarterback? It was really interesting because, I mean, they were in the game at halftime. I felt like Case wasn't good, but he needed one drive to get right. I thought that the play calling was kind of questionable to me. I know no one will ever want to question Bobby Slowick or D'Amico. They've done so great. This team was so bad. I'll go so, ahead and question him. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, for me, I just I felt like they were so passive, so cautious, and I get it. That defense is 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 vaunted. They are talented. They've got great edge rushers. Miles Garrett's a monster. He looks bigger in person than he does on TV. All of that, you still have to attack them. You still have to scheme and, and try to figure out a way to move the ball down the field. And I felt like the offense was just so predictable. It was so dink and dunk. It was, you know, hoping you could pop a run. And even when they did, then it was so predictable that they were going to go back to the run as opposed to, okay, now we've got them on their heels a little bit, maybe some up-tempo. There were so many things that I felt like they didn't do that the Browns did. I don't feel like Joe Flacco is worlds better than Case Keenum, but in the day, he absolutely looked it. And he was like, look, my best guy is uh, Amari Cooper, and I'm just going to keep going to him until you stop him. And credit to them, they were they were willing to take the risk. I mean, he threw two picks, so it wasn't like he was flawless, but I just felt like the way they, they attacked the game did not give Case Keenum a chance. Now, granted, by the time Davis Mills came in, it was already out of hand. And even he didn't look good the first couple drives. 
So I don't want to sit here and go, Davis Mills better start the next time there's a quarterback issue because that's not fair. I think if Davis was in the same scenario, it would have went the same way because the play calling was so vanilla, so predictable. I just felt like they did not attack the Cleveland Browns down the field, which they've come to do all season long and have been so incredibly uh, successful. And when you give a team basically the idea that, hey, we won't challenge you, we're not going to push the ball down the field, they can pin their ears back and go. No, yeah, a hundred percent. I, I mean, the scheming. Um, there was a lot of people saying it, it was Pep Hamilton esque with the way that they were uh, they were bringing Davis Mills in to be the Jeff Driscoll to the Case Keenum. The the alternating scheme thing. To to me, the big question is is outside of game time experience. You know, with with the age that Case Keenum is, and with the no, knowledge that he can't push the ball down the field. What are we getting, you know, from him over Davis Mills in that game? But I think he earned the opportunity to start against the Browns because of how he performed against the Titans. So I have no issue with him starting that game. But I think maybe they're understanding what the Browns defense is. There's probably a shorter leash on that experience. Now, you mentioned Mari Cooper's record day. That, that brings a question to mind that I'd like to talk to you about. It's a known fact that Derek Stingley, great corner and is, is playing out of his mind. Steven Nelson's playing good too. Um, and you know, so with that in mind, the Texans don't shadow the best receiver with Derek Stingley. Is there a point in this game where you thought to yourself, maybe that should happen? Or do you think that moving forward, the Texans should, you know, maybe contemplate doing that? I listened to the post game on my way home, you know, from the stadium and they spoke to the fact that, uh, Petrie got sat down and, I think that what they said was very valid to them. It looked like, and these are the six ten guys. I don't know if who y'all listen to for your sports radio in Houston. I prefer those guys. I mean, obviously they cover the Texans. They have the, the, the broadcast. I listen to the seven ninety guys in the morning too. I listen to them all, but I just, for, for after the game, before the game, you know, those are the guys I lean on. And they said that it looked like, uh, Petrie was not doing his job to the point where they were putting that guy on an island, and when you have no pass rush, they had zero pass rush. Joe Flacco, as as old as he is, if you give him all day to stand there and let this uh, receiving core get open, they're going to get open. Like there was a fourth down where you know they wrapped him up, but he had like five seconds, and he still found Cooper on the sideline for a first down. And it's like I can't be mad at the at the at the the DBs. When they can't get home, like like you're you're supposed to hold them for two two seconds, three seconds stops. And I know what play you're talking about because Derek Stingley made a great play on the ball on that play, and I'm surprised they converted. That was back um, after Davis Mills's uh, second touchdown when the Texans had kicked the ball off and they were trying to get a short stop so that they could maybe try and make it a one score game. Um, and there was, there was some hope there, even though it feels like the whole game um, throughout the the Browns were pretty firmly in control of it, um, even when it was close. Um, but looking at what happened with Petrie, um, I mean, we've talked about it before. Um, Derek Stingley has been covering for Jalen Petrie all season. And aside like the week before there was a play where, um, the, the ball was thrown deep and Petrie was, was late to it. And luckily he hit the guy hard enough and knocked it out. There's an, what was it? That big Petrie or that big Stingley interception. The second one of the game where he like, looks like, you know, that one Leonardo da Vinci painting, just reaching up and take it's art. 
art in motion happening as he's picking that ball off. Um, that was a play where he had to bail out Petrie because Petrie got burned. And so with that, I, um, that brings up a good point um, to talk about, which is that today, since we're recording so late in the week, not like we normally do, we have knowledge that uh, you know Kareem Jackson just got claimed off waivers. Uh, first round pick in 2010 to the Texans, played cornerback then, plays safety now. Um, with that in mind, the current depth chart lists DeAndre Houston Carlson as the starter over Kareem Jackson, and it lists Jalen Petrie on the other side. What, what do you think the odds are that moving forward, maybe Petrie sees less playing time? It'll definitely depend on his ability to make the right read, play the secondary role that he needs to play. He's phenomenal on the line of scrimmage. When they ask him to get in the backfield and, and disrupt, he's phenomenal. It's it's sometimes, and, and like the first play to Cooper, the very first play of the game, that was a play where they asked D'Amico about the play, and he was like, look, we had quarters. We had we had guys over the top, and they weren't there. Like, I can't be mad at my DBs, at my at my cornerbacks, when I'm calling coverage so that that can't happen. And it'll be interesting to see how fast he moves to the depth chart. I know the fact that Ward is out for the season with a quadriceps injury probably means he's going to have to play some. I don't think they're uh, they're going to just run with you know the two or three safeties in the two spots. So you're definitely going to see him. Kareem Jackson was a guy that. I could not stand as a quarter, cornerback. He was horrible as a cornerback, in my opinion. He got he was barbecue chicken a lot. As a safety, though, he's phenomenal. He's a he's a different animal when he's allowed to play center field, when he's allowed to help and just be out there reading and reacting. So I think he's a great pickup for depth. I know he's on the back end of his career. I mean, he played with D'Amico Ryan's as a Texan. That's how old this guy is. So I'm not I'm not expecting him to come out and light the world on fire. I think if he makes a couple plays, it was a great pickup and I'm hoping to see him do it. Now sticking with the defense. Um, one of the big things that hit early on was Nelson who eventually came back, went out with a foot injury. Jonathan Grenard left the game and was out and Jimmy Ward left the game and was out all in the first quarter. It felt like it feels like every week, right? I don't know if, if many people remember this. I've watched enough NFL network to know the, the term body bag game. Um, it feels like every week the Texans are playing some semblance of a body bag game um, and there's just players going down left and right and we've talked about it a hundred times if we've talked about it once we've talked about it a hundred times the next man up mentality that has kept the Texans going this season but and, and so it's hard to blame injuries when they happen because of how the Texans have overcome them um, but do you feel like they played a huge role or was it just a, an opponent that's hard to overcome with, with the injuries we already had going into the game? I think it's a combination of a couple things. I think when you look at uh, the Cleveland Browns, they're flying high. They have beat some really good teams. They're playing really good football. And they're, for the most part, healthy. I know that's dumb to say when their starting quarterback is out for the season. But when you look at the other pieces around him, they're healthy. If you told me that the Houston Texans were only missing uh, C.J. Stroud and they had all their other complimented players, I'd probably feel 100 times better. The fact that, and I know they're missing their running back too. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna downplay them entirely, but the level at which the Texans have had to constantly overcome injuries is probably some of the most I've ever seen for a team. Like this has just been one of those seasons where we've never gotten them all together healthy for more than five minutes. And if they did, they'd probably be really good. And I think that that's credit to CJ that they're still fighting for a playoff spot. They still control their own destiny. Like there's so many things still in front of them. 
regardless of how many guys are in street clothes on the sideline on Sunday. No, yeah, and and it feels like a Texans history is repeating itself because it feels like every time the Texans get good, and you know we we're talking at points this season about an eleven win season, a twelve win season, and going in, and and that kind of season puts us in the two seed and maybe even in contention for the one seed in the AFC, knowing what we know now. Um, but the best the Texans can finish is the three seed, um, and the best they can do is ten wins this season, and that just it brings back memories like the season where TJ Yates had to step in for Matt Schaub, twenty eleven. Um, there's just so injuries to me. Like I don't, it's, I, I, I feel like it's like this, right? It's like when you're talking to someone and you just beat their team and they say, well, we were pretty injured. You go, yeah, but like we won, but like when your team is playing and they're injured, you're like, well, guys, we, we, you know, we didn't really get a fair shake. We didn't really like give them our full go. And so I try not to blame injuries for what happened, but as a Texans fan, it just feels like historically injuries have kind of bogged down some of the better moments in Texans history. J.J. Watt is 100% the epitome of that at a lot of points in his career because as great as he was when he was on the team, he could have been 10 times better if the injury bug didn't bite the Texans right at the exact wrong time. But looking back on the offense, um, I mean, Case Keenum, you know, he, it didn't look great. Um, not an amazing showing from him. Um, we can look at the play calling. Um, do, do you think that there's reason to believe that the O-line maybe was kind of at fault there? Or do you think that we can just look at the play calling in Case Keenum? Um, do you think the receivers? Or is there, what, what is the main reason why this game probably didn't go as well as, as it maybe could have on offense, um, in your opinion? Well, the first thing I noticed, and this this was very even, so I won't say that you know the Texans were wronged one way or the other. The penalties they have to play. If you're if you're down so many players, you have to play super clean football. They didn't do that. They were behind the sticks, uh, as the saying goes, more than their share. And um, it's just you have to be so much better there to overcome the deficiencies of your roster. So when you put Case Keenum in third and 13, third or second and 17, things of that nature, the odds of him being successful are very small. I think that there was, there was some offside penalties. There was some uh, holding penalties that just really, really hurt the Texans and bogged some good drives down. There was moments in the game where they made plays that looked like they, okay, they're going to get going. You know, motor had that 20, 20 something yard run. I mean, okay, they're going to get going. And then it just, something bogged it down someplace or another. And I mean, when you have superior talent like CJ Stroud, like Tank Dell, like, you know, uh, Will Anderson, even when you have that superior talent, you can overcome those. When you don't have that talent, you really have to play a, a perfect game. And this wasn't that. And they really struggled to connect with Nico, I think. Nico should have been our Amari Cooper. They should have made it a point to get him the ball by any means necessary. I think uh, that's on Bobby to try to scheme him open, get him into positions. They move Amari Cooper all over the place. That's why you never, or not never, but you rarely saw um, Derek Singley Jr. matched up on him because they were moving him all over the place. Nico could have done the exact same thing and they could have tried to take advantage of their lesser DB, whoever that is. I, I don't have the names in front of me. I just wish they would have attacked them more you know, with, with confidence. It was almost like they were playing not to lose and you never win like that. No. Yeah. I agree with you. 
I think to some extent that the way that the receivers, <coughs> excuse me, got a little something in my throat. Um, the way the receivers were used was one thing. Um, we had a discussion after the Jets game about Noah Brown, and um, I stated very clearly that this game was going to tell us whether Noah Brown was you know, good when he had the space, if, if a good defense can truly lock him down, because um, he didn't really have... None of the receivers really had any space. It was a repeat of the Jets game where it felt like wherever the ball was thrown, the defender like had you know somehow telepathically known that it was going to be there and was just right where he needed to be. Um, so those those throwing lanes weren't opening up. And I think that you know Noah Brown is a great option. Um, but when the defense is that good, you need a true wide receiver one that can overcome the coverage. And, um, I don't want to blame it on Nico for not getting open in the way that he probably should have. Uh, I, I feel like the way the game was called kind of hindered him from doing that. It, 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 he wasn't set up for success. So I'm not really going to, you know, be too mad at him for that. Now, here's the big question. Do you think that in this game, if CJ Straub plays that we get a significantly better result just knowing what you know about how the Texans offense runs. Absolutely. I mean, when you saw some of the plays that Case made, I think he held onto the ball a little long a couple times, but those are plays where you see CJ potentially find Noah Brown, who comes clean at the end. I think once, once Case got into scramble mode, he quit looking downfield and he was just like running for his life. And that's something that's, that separates him and CJ. You see CJ make plays when the pocket collapses, when he's got to roll outside, things of that nature. And while I, I love what Case was able to do two weeks ago, I mean, that's just not his game. You really need him to be able in their sort of game manage, as they say, check down, simple reads, okay, one, two, boom, go, that kind of thing. Lean on your running game a lot. And this team's just not built for that, in my opinion. I think that this offense is more tailored. To, the offensive line is more tailored to throw in the ball. I think while Motor is great, I think he'd be even better if they used him in the passing game more. And you see, you see flashes. So I mean, ironically, when they wanted to throw the ball to running backs, it was to uh, Damian Pierce, who I love, but it's not the guy. <laughs> like the receiver in this in this offense is clearly Singletary. So it's just tough, man. It was a, it was a really hard game to watch. Uh, you know, we had some Browns fans over my shoulder who complained about a guy standing up and then they were, you know, talking trash after that. And it's just like, oh my gosh. But it, it was, it was, I, I'd still go 100 over 100 every time. I mean, we, we, we were there till the final whistle. I mean, we watched it all. So it was definitely an experience, but I still have very, very, very good feelings about this Texans team being able to do something with these last two games. Well, and you know the atmosphere has changed it with the team. I, you know, watching. I went to the uh, Jaguars and Jacksonville game last season, and the energy and energy is just down. There's no one there, and it's just miserable. You know, you sit there to the final whistle because you're like, you know, I, I'm the fan that watches the whole game regardless. And those are both really rough games to watch. Um, but coming in this year and going to the the Jaguars game, even though we lost a close game and you know it, it didn't end the way I wanted it to, it still feels a hundred times better to be in, in NRG this year. And, and I wouldn't I wouldn't miss a game even if I knew that it was going to be a loss, just because of how how much I 
I appreciate that atmosphere and what, what D'Amico has already done for the team in a short time by producing this product on the field, what CJ has done and the combination of what, you know, Casario has helped put together there. I really appreciate that. Um, speaking to Singletary, I mean, that's why I, you know, while I mostly targeted my tweet about the 2024 running back draft class at the depth of the running back room, um, I do think there's room to improve that running back room, even knowing what Singletary is. Um, I do agree that another need in the draft is probably some something to create depth that is really good on the offensive line, um, to create a run-blocking offensive line, since pass-blocking seems to be all they really know. Um, but... You bring up Damian Pierce, and so it's hard to get through a recap of the Texans-Browns game without talking about him. Um, it's not the way that I think any of us guessed that he was going to have an impact on the Texans season, um, but I guess during practice, they were they were working it. They tried him out at kick return. They, they liked what he did, and so, you know, they brought him on. They put him on, and what happens? You know, he gets one, and he takes it 98 yards back to the house. What, what was it like in NRG when that happened? I, I, I want to I know. First... First, I got to tell you this story because they interviewed him. So I'm listening to 610. They interview him. He's the only bright spot of the game. And they talked to him about his season. And one of the best interviews I've ever heard from a guy just being genuinely honest about his struggles and just saying, look, I know I'm not the guy I need to be. He sat up there and he said, look, when I, when I started with this offense, it was more than I, than I could handle. I just wasn't prepared. I didn't have all the tools. I'm not the kind of running back that I need to be to be good in this offense. He goes, but I want to, he goes this, this season I've grown so much. He said, I've learned from Singletary. I've learned from this offensive uh, coaching staff. He's like, I have, I have gained leaps and bounds because before it was just kind of like, here's the rock go. And now there's so much more to it. And, and it's, and it's, it's so awesome to hear. I mean, you, you should have heard the announcers. I don't know if y'all listen to 610, but they were like, man, that's so awesome that you're being honest about that. Most people wouldn't share that. Most people wouldn't say, hey, I know I'm not the guy and I just, whatever. He was, he was like, I know that I have so much to learn. He goes, this is something that I, I needed this season for my growth, for my development. He goes, I'm not the running back that the Texans need right now. He goes, but in the off season, I'm going to try like hell to be. And the, the, the funny thing about the, the kick thing, so they asked him about that too. He goes, I come into the running back room on Tuesday and coach looks at me. He goes, you look at the depth chart. He goes, why do I need to look at the depth chart? And the coach says, uh, you're in the wrong room. You're, you're uh, returning kicks. And he goes, I haven't done that since high school, but okay. <laughs> and he went out there and he said, uh, it was funny because he talked about Kaimi. He's like, I can't say his name, but, but Fairbairn, I call him Fairbairn because I can't say his name. He goes, all right, let's, let's do this. And then we did a couple of them. He goes, you're going to get you one. I can see it. I can feel it. You're going to get you one. <laughs> and, they, and he said, he said, my team was so awesome. They pumped me up the whole time. And then he was like, by the end of the week, I was like, you know what? I am going to get me one. And credit to my special teams. You know, they run a very military style, you know, room or whatever. So I really didn't want to mess this up. They opened that hole and I was out. And, and they were like, man, that looked a whole lot like your play, your run play last year. I guess I think it was the Panthers. He goes, it's it the Chargers. The, the Chargers, that's right. He goes, it felt exactly like that. He goes, I got out to the right-hand side and it was gone. And they were running at us. When I tell you that, the sea of red and blue and white that lifted up in front of me in these seats because he was running at us. Oh, man, it was awesome. 
Oh, dude, I wish I could have been there. That was an incredible play. And, and I agree with you. It's, it's refreshing to hear that simply for the fact that as, as you know, pro athletes, to some extent, the mentality that you have to have to be at that level is like, I am the best and I can go out there. And anytime I touch the field, I, you know, make a difference and I change the game. And there's a point where that confidence goes from being confidence to being denial of what's really happening out there, which is that you're learning. You're at, you're at a stage in your career where you, you were doing incredible well and the expectations went up and you didn't meet those and so to be honest with the people interviewing you and to and to say hey i'm not denying that that i could be better but i know that i can be better that's how you reframe what the narrative and you take it over and say hey i'm still confident but i i acknowledge what's going on right now and i i know that it's unacceptable so i appreciate that i, I believe i heard some variation of that on a on a video on twitter people were talking about it, it uh, incredible to hear that and and it it, remind, it reminds me, there's some people that would say, well, oh, maybe we should trade Damian Pierce or maybe we could get something for him. And I'm thinking the only value that is brought in a trade by him is value that's more valuable to us. And that is the fact that he's on a rookie deal and he's a, you know, he's a, got high potential. That's the biggest thing. So I, I think he's more valuable to us in the running back room. Just that interview confirms it for me with with his attitude because that's the only other thing that was really kind of like i feel like he's a cool guy and, and he's got a really good head on his shoulders but that confirms it for me so i i really like that the willingness of this team to adjust um and to try something new i'm hoping that that's what you know bobby slowick was doing this week with the uh the um, mills cat offense uh, was trying something new to see how it would work. <laughs> um, but what do you think moving forward? So CJ looks like he could come back at the time of recording. It's, it's Tuesday. And so injury reports don't go out till Wednesday. There was a report right before the game that said he's looking good for uh, Tennessee. Tennessee already lost to us with Case Keenum. I, I guess just one forward looking question before we kind of bring it to a close. Um, what do you think, uh, what do you think is the possibility that Davis Mills starts that game instead of Case Keenum? I really hope it's zero. I mean, I love both those guys for being, you know, the next man up. I, I mean, obviously Davis Mills, you know, we drafted him. He's one of ours, you know, like, like he was a Texan before he was anything else. You know what I mean? And Case Keenum, he was a U of H Cougar. So, you know, when you have these guys in your in your room that 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 are like loyal to the soil, you know, Davis Mills could have been, you know, pouting and upset when Case took that job. He's been the backup on the depth chart the entire season, and if anybody could have been like, "Man, screw this, I don't need to do this," it could have been him, and he didn't. So I, I really appreciate him for that. I mean, I don't know what. I would want to do. I hope I don't have to answer that question. I need CJ in the worst way because right now this team is 200% better when CJ Stroud is behind center because defenses respect him and he is able to do things that nobody else on the team in that quarterback room can. 
here's one more thing I want your perspective on because I thought about it when you mentioned how great CJ is. Um, recently, you know, I had said it in week seven. I said CJ Stroud could stop playing football right now and he's offensive rookie of the year. There's not anyone close. Puka Nakua was playing really well at the time um, and on pace for record setting numbers, but I was like, there's no way you pick Puka Nakua over CJ Stroud with the season Stroud's having. Stroud has missed two games. And so now people are calling into question if CJ Stroud should win offensive rookie of the year because of the record setting season that Puka Nakua could potentially have. And so I'd like your perspective on it. Do you think that there's any question on who the offensive rookie of the year is because of how much time CJ has missed? Or do you think that it's still cut and dry that CJ is the MVP? Trying not to be biased, of course. (laughs) I'll be honest. I can care less who wins that award. I, I mean, I know some people like to hang that, you know, hey, but we got the defensive rookie of the year. Hey, we got the comeback player of the year. Hey, we got... I mean, those things don't matter. Do you know who won offensive rookie of the year last year? <laughs> if you got to think about it, it's too late because it's that serious. I, I would love for him to win it. I would love for him to validate his progression, but I'm not going to lose any sleep if they go get Puka Nakua, who's lighting the world on fire for the Rams. He's playing phenomenal. I played him in Daily Fantasy. The guy's a stud. I mean, with Cooper Cup out, everybody was like, where are they going to go? And all this dude did was show up and catch everything. So I get it. He's caught Cooper Cup out of a job, it looks like, because Cooper Cup looks like, you know, an Adam Thielen in his later years in Minnesota type, just like, oh, he's good for four four receptions for 60 yards or something like that. But Puka's the guy. So that that alone, you know, it, it makes me think about it. I And I, it's hard for me not to be biased because I, I've, I've seen what CJ did. Here's how I'll put it, right? It's impressive that Puka Nakua has had the season that he's had, especially with his draft position and the position that he played. Um, and to, to warrant any consideration for offensive rookie of the year is impressive. Um, granted, that's a, the, a, an award that can and more than likely in the past has gone to non-quarterbacks on years where the quarterback class wasn't quite there. I can tell you who won it a few years ago it was Jamar Chase. Um, but so looking at it, I still have to use that barometer that in the NFL for any award, if a QB is having a season like CJ Stroud has, it's hard, even as good as Puka Nakua has been to put him in as offensive rookie of the year. It would take, so that game against the Jets is what called it into question in my mind, not the time missed. It's the game he had against the Jets. And I would say that if CJ Stroud does anything less than two consecutive 300 yard games with two or more touchdowns, then maybe we can ask the question. But still, as of right now, I'm still CJ Stroud for offense rookie of the year um there's there's some parts of my mind that that think he's an outlier for mvp with as bad as that race has been going i, I that's not a serious thing because you know obviously with the way he did uh, performed against the jets and time missed it's like entirely impossible but it's just how bad all the mvp front runners that have been named since then have done is that like i when your name has been thrown around for mvp it's hard for me to believe that that you could not win offensive rookie of the year just because you had a bad game against the jets and missed some time. Um, but on that note, Tom, it's been real. It's been fun. Do you have any final thoughts on this Texans Browns game before we, uh, delete it from our memory and never think about it again? Well, I would like to tell you that we will delete it because I intend to delete it. But if D'Amico smart, and I think he is, this will be billboard material. This will be, a tool he will use to motivate and rally the troops. It will be like, look, this is how human we are. Like we have to play 
a step better all the time because we can be this bad. We can be the Jets bad. We can be the Browns bad. We can be very bad. And if that doesn't motivate you, well, then you're probably not on the right team. I believe that, C, uh, you know, CJ coming back will we'll rally the troops again. And and he'll come in and say, look, I'm sorry, fellas. You know, uh, I wasn't there for you, but I'm here now because that's the kind of guy he is. I think that uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be an epic couple of weeks. I, I truly believe that you know the Texans are going to do some things that's going to put them in a position to if and when and how and what they're in the playoffs. So, uh, so insanely proud of this team, regardless of how it goes. I, I mean, everybody's gonna look at this, and and I'm not one of those guys that goes, well, standards are set now. I'm like, man, this is year one. <laughs> You know, there's so many guys. That, nope, they've already shown me they can do it. I'm like, come on, man. That's me. You're talking about me. <laughs> I'll talk about a few guys, but no but need, you might no need be to in sub. There. No need to subtweet me to my face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, oh no, I know. I know you're probably not directly talking about me, but but I do. That's kind of how I think sometimes. You're the one who who brings me back down to earth when I share that opinion. So thank you for that. Um, but on that note. Thanks for watching. If you want to hear more about the playoff scenarios and more, you know, now that we're two weeks out, we can really talk about it instead of feeling like it's like a pipe dream. It's a very realistic thing. So next week, um, or on Friday, we will be talking about the uh, Texans Titans matchup and we'll probably dive a little deeper into the playoff scenarios, but thanks for watching. Uh, you can find me at M one Texans fan on all social media. Um, Tom is at third coast Tom on Twitter. So hit him up on there. And uh, until next time, vamos Texans and uh, stay classy, Houston. Thanks for tuning into The Bullpen, a Texans podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Please like, comment, subscribe, and follow along for more Texans talk from The Bullpen.